Welcome to Founders Fridays, a series that brings you insights on how to take a startup from inception to scale. Today, we're doing a Founders and Funding episode in which we demystify the fundraising process and the relationship between investors and founders. We were lucky to be joined by Nick of Helsum and Jane of Information Venture Partners. Helsum is a, creating an easier, smarter, and more affordable payment solution that can enable more businesses to get paid and grow. Helsum also serves thousands of businesses in Canada and the United States across 800 different industries, processing billions of dollars in payments each year. Information Venture Partners, based out of Toronto, has been pioneer investors in SaaS companies. They understand the key success factors in building enterprise software, analytics platforms, and the social enterprise companies. Their two decades of experience with global financial institutions has also provided them a unique lens on identifying and growing financial technology companies. Um, today, we'll learn more about Nick and Jane's backgrounds, Helsum's founding, and how this round came together. Uh, Nick, Jane, thanks for joining me. So, thanks Nick, for having us. Um, I would like to start with you. Uh, give me a quick, brief introduction of who you are. Sure. Uh, I'm Nick Beek. I'm the founder of Helsum. Uh, do you want a breakdown of what Helsum is or just me? Let, let's start with you and we'll get to Helsum a bit. So well, like, what did you do before Helsum? So like, what's your background? How did you come to be a founder? Uh, yeah, I mean, my, my, my quick little story. I mean, I was born in Texas, but I grew up in Montreal. Um, and so my first language is French. And then I moved to Montreal when... Uh, 96, I was 12. So um, that's when I learned English. And that's uh, where I fell in love with, with Alberta, which is absolutely my new home now. Um, I, that's where I started coding as well. So I uh, started getting into computers. And um, in terms of me kind of becoming an entrepreneur, I always had kind of side side hustles, you know, making making websites and, and uh, different side companies. And uh, started my first sort of first version of Helsum actually uh, at the age of 24, um, so quite early. So if you look at my resume before Helsum, it's not super impressive. It's everything from working at Superstore to working at little computer stores and and things like that, and then kind of jumped into entrepreneurship uh, pretty early. Awesome. So I'm gonna get back. I want you know want to hear the story about how you got into the first version of Helsum and how that led to Helsum. But first. Um, would love to enter Jane for you to introduce yourself and give us a bit about your background. Alex, first of, first of all, thank you so much for having us. It's really exciting to to talk to you and share the story. It, it's my pleasure. I've been trying to get you on uh, to come on for a while, Jane. I've been hiding, but here I am. And uh, I was just waiting for the right podcast partner to come along. So I'm really Excellent. excited to be here with Nick. Well, my story actually started as a software engineer. Um, I was a very geeky teenager coding since I was, I don't know, everybody likes to say I was coding since I was 12, but well, actually I was. So I just, <laughs> <laughs> just happened to have my first computer at that age and uh, pursued a degree in computer science and I worked as a software engineer and I just realized I am too extroverted for the job. I'm much more active. And I just frankly also met so many very talented software engineers in my short tenure as a, as a software art engineer. And I realized I will never be that good. But I, throughout my career, I kind of stuck around software in one way or another with some short detours. Uh, after um, my software experience. I went to work for Xerox. I was a solution architect for them. Again, figuring out how to use different technologies and softwares and how to stick them together to optimize 
various business processes, primarily of large companies, banks, insurance companies, educational institutions. It was a pretty fun experience. Um, I decided that I need a business degree to uh, get smarter on the business side of things. I felt that I am pretty good on the technology side, but uh, the business side was lacking. So I decided to do an MBA. I studied at Rotman, uh, University of Toronto, Rotman School of Management. But after completing that degree, I got seduced <laughs> with the allure of management consulting. It's like you come to do an MBA and everybody's like, what do you want to do? You want to do management consulting or investment banking? I'm like, uh, uh, consulting <laughs> sounds fun. So, so I went to work for Bain. And that was a good, good learning. I still see that as a continuation of my MBA program, but uh, ultimately for me, that was too far removed from tech, at least at the time. Uh, so I became a venture investor instead. So for the past seven years, I've been a VC. I worked for a growth stage fund first, uh, Georgian Partners, but then I got really interested in early stage investing and I'm really much more keen in helping founders from the earliest days. Well, I shouldn't say the earliest, earlier. Uh, Series A is our sweet spot and I can talk more about IVP. But I've been with Information Venture Partners since the beginning of 2021. Uh, yeah. So it's been, it's going to be two years soon. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, so that, well, time, that's me in a nutshell. Time flies. And uh, I'll just give you a dirty little secret of the industry. A lot of us are ex-McKinsey, ex-Bain and BCG, both on the investing side and its founders. Um, so, you know, that, that detour is not a big detour. Just, yeah, I would like to pick on what is the thesis of IVP. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so one thing uh, probably didn't come through in the short intro is that we are very much a, a fintech fund. We invest first and foremost in technologies for financial institutions. So that's why some uh, that's why you can see in our portfolio some companies that are not pure fintechs, but rather technologies for advice, which can go beyond financial software. But we also invest in B2B fintech. And we also invest in what we call embedded finance. So payments is a very interesting category because it straddles both B2B FinTech and embedded finance. And I, frankly, I would never touch payment space before coming to Information uh, Venture Partners. I was more of a SaaS investor before, yeah. but I got really intrigued by the space and um, we really, wanted to do a deal in the space. Uh, and also we just met Helsin, frankly. And <laughs> through that relationship, I continue to build my knowledge of, of this uh, fascinating market. And frankly, there's still so much to learn there. We converted you to the dark side. You did, you totally did. But well, well, the good thing is I think everyone touches payments, they just don't know it. So maybe let's take a step back and can tell us, you said you came out with the idea of Helsum before you started Helsum. So why don't you take us, A, explain now what Helsum does, and maybe then take us back to that first kernel of ideation or the first time you came up with the idea. Yeah, so I'm, I'll keep the, the, the story short, but essentially there's, what we like to say, there's a Helsum 1.0 and a Helsum 2.0, right? So um, over 10 years ago when I, f I started Helsum 1.0, um, we were not, I didn't know what the word VC was or the, the, even the word startup was. It was, a, you know, a starting a small business in Alberta. And we were, um, 
we were reselling merchant services. So if you think about the, the world of merchant services, like the, the Moneris of the world. And, Sorry, uh, just going to interrupt. For people that yeah. don't know what merchant services are, what is a merchant service? Uh, allowing small businesses to accept car payments. Okay. Right? And uh, so, you know, we were a reseller. So we built our own, you know, we would build little side software, but in general, we were kind of like being an insurance broker, right? So you're not really in control of how you deliver the service. Um, but we, you know, it was, it was, Door to door, it was picking up the phone. It was building a small business, and and over a ten-year period, I had built it to about forty employees, and about six thousand customers. And and that was a good little business. But we always wanted to be more. We always wanted to be our own payments company. Uh, and it took a number of years to convince a, a banking partner to kind of give us the keys to the kingdom and and be able to do it ourselves. And uh, but finally, we did it. It took us actually three years behind the scenes to build it. Also, we wanted to build all of our in-house technology stack for payments, for reconciliation, for fraud, for, you know, there's so many pieces that goes into building a, a payments company. Um, and we were doing that with the money of the old business. So we're kind of squeezing every dollar we could out of the bootstrap company and and funding, you know, hiring more developers and, and funding the what would be the, the new business. And we decided actually to keep, even though it was a completely new service, we decided to keep the name just because we had already built a good reputation in the industry as being trustworthy. And you know, our mission is to be the world's most loved payments company. So, you know, we had already started building that foundation. So, uh, but we launched a new business in June of 2020. So that's Halsum 2.0. And that was us becoming our own payments company and uh, really leaning into servicing small businesses and, and making it affordable, making it transparent. And um, that's when we started to really, you know, grow uh, quite quickly. And that's that's the launch of the the second company. Okay. And so like, I just want to clarify here. So when you say it's the second company, is it the same entity, the same team, or was it different entity, different team? Um, so same same entity, um, yeah. same team, new service. Okay. New branding, new service, new you know A to so Z. A really strong pivot, as you know, you'd say, right? Like you exactly. said, okay, same customers, but different product. Let's call it a more holistic, better product. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so we started doing that and um, we started growing quite quickly. And for a bootstrap company, you know, we were proud of that. Uh, we saw, we started seeing the limits of what we could do. You know, the business was growing faster than we could hire. And when you're a bootstrap company, you can only really hire, you know, retroactively you're kind of yeah. as the dollars come in you know and finally it was in the fall of 2021 so a little over you know a year after we had launched um you know we had grown 400 just just the, 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 that year and my cfo came into my office marge and she essentially said like nick this bootstrap thing is just we have we have stretched it to its very max there's no way we can keep up like unless we get a partner with deeper pockets like there's so many people we need to hire to keep up with all this growth it's time and i had never raised capital ever never done any seed round like nothing and we're just like well how so just picked up the phone and called some entrepreneur friends is like how does this process work <laughs> and uh you know started going down that road. I want to learn more about that. I'm going to flip to Jane now because Jane, you said you never looked at payments before. So how do you encounter Helsum? How do you even, if you're not looking at payments, I imagine this is not something that easily came to you. So did you start looking at payments first? Did you come to Helsum first? So what brought Nick and Helsum onto your radar? A bit of both. After joining information venture partners, I started learning about different subsectors of fintech. We've done some fintech in my previous fund, but it was never the core 
uh, investment area. And here I was uh, becoming a pure fintech investor. And we did discuss payments as one area, which the partnership wanted to delve in deeper. And the suggestion came up that I build this new expertise. And I was really excited about that. I, I'm always excited about learning about new business models, new spaces. And the more complex, <laughs> the better. I guess I'm, I'm weird that way. And uh, Helsin came up as one of the opportunities we uh, looked at, actually together with uh, one of our founding partners, Rob. We had our first call with Helsin, I think at the beginning of 2020. Helsin was not raising capital at the time. It was just an introductory call. And Rob was like, well, you're learning about payments. Why don't you hop on the call with me? And we came out of that call and we both looked at each other. And we're like, that was really great. We, we, should, we should track that company and uh, catch them at the moment when uh, they will be raising. Well, mind you, we closed the round in March of 2022, so a year later. So you can think about it this way. So I had a year to learn about payments <laughs> and we kept in touch with Helsim throughout that year. And of course I encountered a lot more payments deals and learned a lot more about the space. But frankly, to this day, I can't say that I'm like uh, the expert on payments. I feel like the space is just so complex. You. Yeah, no one's an expert on payments. It's too deep of a pool. So. <laughs> so, so I'm curious, Jane, why did you come out that initial call and saying this was a great call? What, what left you that impression? A uh, few things. Oh, well, Nick was actually not even on that call. Nick was hiding. <laughs> Maybe that's why the call was good. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why. But <laughs> we met Nick C4, Marjorie, and just the way she spoke about the business, how well she knew it, how uh, the metrics were amazing, just the sheer fact that the business was uh, bootstrapped for so long and that they now launched this Helsin 2.0 solution and it was clearly growing very, very fast through the pandemics here, right? Because they launched in the summer of 2020 and we talked in March of 2021. So that growth happened smack through the COVID year. And we were very, very intrigued by both the this performance and also in a VC world, we like to say that we're subjective, uh, that we are objective, but we're actually quite subjective. So we did quite like Marjorie and <laughs> maybe maybe she made it <laughs> for us. So I love that perspective. And Nick, um... You said like, you know, you had bootstrapped at this point, you weren't ready to raise capital. So why even entertain the call? Like what, you know, what were you hoping you or your team would learn? Why, you know, you know, I'm sure like if it sounded like you were growing really fast and didn't have much time as an executive team. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that speaks actually to probably to, to Marjorie's uh, hindsight or insight or foresight foresight um she you know because i she you know she's having some of these calls without me just having very kind of um high level introductions with potential investors and i was that, that was not on my roadmap right so like i didn't start talking to investors until the fall of yeah. 2021 right and i think that that's her i think she was ahead of me knowing that like hey she's looking at numbers going like we're gonna have to get some capital at, at some point and uh yeah i mean that speaks to, to to the rock star that marge is and somebody that came on board with us about um 
just a little bit. It's going to be three years now. And she actually came from, um, this is, I think, uh, something, it speaks to Alberta. So Marge came from, uh, the, you know, the largest oil and gas company in Canada. She worked right under the CFO. And I go, you know, she was managing, you know, billions of dollars yeah. for them. And and so, but I, I, I had known Marge for a long time. And I didn't know if I could actually convince her to come work for me because my pitch to her was definitely, you know, more more work, less pay, more risk, come for the ride. <laughs> sounds like a great opportunity. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, she, she, she finally, she jumped ship. Um, but yeah, I think that speaks to having a great CFO and a great team because they can they can have that foresight to have those those calls, even if the the founder isn't emotionally ready yet for to talk to VCs. So, so now forward a bit, you know. So you get the, you get emotional ready. You realize to hire the people you need to execute against what you're doing. You need more additional capital. I, I don't know if there, was there any working capital requirements beyond people. Was it is it all just to hire people? Like what what exactly convinced you? Was it we just need more people because um, we're growing so fast? Yeah, it was more people, right? So essentially, like as a bootstrap company, by the fall we were about at sixty people, um, and we we're starting to we were really starting to flirt with like we we're starting to burn our own capital. And as a bootstrap company, that's really kind of scary, right? Um, and we were by the end of the year we were at eighty, and then we started putting ourselves into a, a burn. Um, and I think that was needed. It was also I think needed even to prove to our capital partners that we could switch our mindset because i think a bootstrap mindset from a vc back you know high growth mindset is different and we have to prove to ourselves and prove to our to potential investors like no we're ready for this next phase of our business right so so, so you're now ready you're gonna go raise it sounds like marjorie has been building a bunch of relationships <laughs> so how do you decide how much you need who to talk to you know what you know did you reach out was the jane and ivp already have a call scheduled like a quarterly check-in so like how did you know, how do you decide the process and then how do you, you know, reach out back to Jane? Yeah. I mean, the, the keeping, keeping in mind the capital markets were a little bit different in the yes. fall. Um, but essentially what we did is, you know, our numbers are looking really good. We're growing quickly. So um, in October we started um, reaching out. So reach out to different entrepreneurs, ask, how does this look like? Can you go straight to series A never having done a seed or anything like that? Um, we we had in mind to raise about ten to twelve. I think that was the original kind of number because we already had cash flow. So yeah. you know, there's you know, we, we so we did uh, we we had that number in mind, and we started building a list of potential investors to talk to. And what we did at first is we said, let's not share data room or deck or anything like that. Let's just have introductory call. And that's what we did for kind of all of October and 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 most of November. Um, and there was uh, uh, a few investors actually decided to you know, beyond the introductory call, decide to fly in. And Information Venture Partners was one of them. That actually meant a lot to us, right? Uh, just them willing, just, I mean, we're really proud of the company. We built the energy, the culture, and there's something to meeting people in person. Like, I am thankful that we could do all these calls over Zoom because you could meet more people more quickly and you didn't have to, you know, spend three months in, you know, on, in Silicon Valley kind of talking to investors around Toronto, but um, having seen people in person was actually definitely a bonus. Um, so IVP came and that meant a lot to us. Um, so what we decided to do after all these, we were just talking very high level, not sharing anything. And then we decided in December, uh, on December 1, we just had like just an, an amazing growth run. And we sent out, um, we actually sent out kind of like an individualized personal email to all the different people we were talking to and essentially said like, okay, you know, we're ready to go. We want to get this done in 30 days. Here's our data room. Here's everything. Like everything we've been kind of teasing. Let's go. 
So Jane, I'd love to hear what your perspective. You get a call from Nick or, or the team. Um, sounds like you were excited after the first call. You were probably tracking them. So what was the initial response like? Was it like, hey, let's get on the plane and meet the team? And if so, love to hear what you were thinking. And then why why get on the plane? Because like I, I understand it. And I I, you know, I'm as much as I like doing this digitally, I'm a big proponent of in-person meetings, but it's a big time commitment. Um, so love to hear what you're, you were thinking the opposite, uh, at the opposite end, uh, you know, from your perspective. After that initial call, I did follow up with Marjorie a number of times. Sometimes she would just reply with an email saying, check in later. Sometimes she would be kind enough to have another Zoom call, but I don't think we actually got to talk to Nick over Zoom. She was guarding his time really, really well. And we just um, put it on our to-do list uh, to visit Helsin when we are in Calgary. So I wish I could say we were flying to Calgary just for Helsin because we're not uh, that flying special. for a company that you are that is not actively raising and is <laughs> continuously <laughs> telling you no. It, it's it's a bit extreme, but Helsing was definitely a top company. We did a, a tour. We visited a few businesses in in Calgary. We felt that the ecosystem there has matured enough and there is uh, enough fintechs for us to track and visit. So, yes, we did go on a plane and that's when we met Nick for the first time. And yeah, walking out of that meeting, it was exact same reaction. We were looking at each other. We're like, we've got to do this deal. If Nick wants it or not, <laughs> we need to find a way to convince Nick to take capital and to take capital from us. And Jane, I'll add to that. Jane and Rob flew in, um, I think it was late November. And um, yeah, we really hit it off. It was great. And we had these cowboys. This is very Alberta. Cause yeah. I, I fully embrace the, the Western culture at this point. But we had a we had cowboy hats with Helsin logos on them from the last stampede. And Rob, you could, you know, he was really, you know, really into the hat. And I I I made a deal with with Rob. I said, Rob, you know, if you and Jane get us a, a, a term sheet, um, then I'll get you a hat. <laughs> so and we left. Is that what closed the deal? That, that, well, we left it at that. You know, that was a month-ish before we got to the term yeah. sheet, right? But that was so Rob really here. wanted that hat. Yeah. Really. <laughs> so this is yeah. So so tell us about like you 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 know December you send out the status room Jane you receive it Nick you send out a few people. Love to hear like from that point to getting a term sheet. A how did that happen and B you know. How do you know you guys were the right partners for each other? So, so Jane, it sounds like you're impressed with Nick and the team. And and Nick, how did you know Jane and Robert are right? Yeah, I think there was definitely some fear on our side because we had been entrepreneurs for a while. We had built this company for a while. We knew who we were as a company and as a culture. Culture is a very big part of, of who we are. We put our culture book publicly. We talk about it all the time. Like we're, you know, um, so we, we were worried that, you know, you hear the never having you know had a vc on as part of our of our company you kind of worry are they going to have certain expectations that change who we are like we want to meet we wanted to meet somebody that's that says hey we really like who you are be more of you as opposed to okay nice nice what you, you know that's nice what you've built now change right and uh, that doesn't mean we're not up for 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 advice and jane and i discuss it, argue and, and debate plenty of things, but we wanted somebody that embraced who we were as a company, right? So that was, there was definitely some, some fears around that. And, uh, 
uh, about kind of mid-December, we had a uh, we had a, a few term sheets available to us, um, including uh, IVP, and uh, they uh, you know we looked at the different deals. Uh, they were in a similar range, uh, but everybody said uh, you know we had talked we had started kind of reaching out to get really kind of two other entrepreneurs going like okay this is this is about to be real. Like, what do I have to watch out for? And we heard over and over and over again that like IVP, they are the long-term partners that you want in your corner. They're the ones, you know, they're the, 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 the term salt of the earth came out a few times in terms of like, they are long-term thinkers. And I think that we were not getting that same vibe from, from other offers. So in the end, we we regroup and and decide you know that's more important to us ultimately because you know they say that you know uh, investor you know a VC will last longer than a marriage right a VC investment and it's like so so um, so we decided to to uh, uh, accept their term sheet and I think it was you know we knew we were asking for a lot because around it was around December and and Jane Rob and the IVP team were really kind of patient with us because we were we were crunching this thing like it'd be december 24th and we're like okay i think we get to the right terms and then you know jane was like there's no way the lawyers are going to get this done <laughs> like you know can we can we wait until the 26th and like it was it was down i think i want to say uh, jane I, I don't remember anymore is it I, I think we signed on the 29th in terms no, of i think like, it was like 30th like 30, was... just before the year end yeah. you know in 10 years you'll be seeing us on the 31st and we all drank a new year's champagne yeah exactly the story will get blurry and change a little bit <laughs> yeah so so and, uh, so yeah, yeah go on and, and jane like and uh, you know from your perspective it's a competitive round again different time not these days um you know sounds like you have your reputation you can you know founders are gonna say what the founders are gonna say but what did you need to get to get the deal done? What did you do to make, you know, and how do you know this was the part, you know, like it sounds like you were excited, but like, how did you make sure you won the deal? And why, what were the caveats or weren't, you know, what, what got you excited? What got you worried? And what did you, from your perspective, win the deal? Uh, it's a very fair question because I, I may have sounded like, oh, we just liked Nick and Marjorie so much. We just wanted to do the deal. We subjected actually Helson's team on a pretty uh, to a pretty extensive diligence. Uh, information venture partners has never been the fund who does a two-day diligence and issues a term sheet. That's just it's not that it's a wrong strategy. It's just not how we work. Um, we are investing usually around Series A stage, so it's not a seed stage. Uh, where there is just an idea and a deck, right? By the time companies hit Series A, there is a, a team, there is a product, there are clients, there are metrics. There is things to analyze and um, things to prove, verify. And we do do quite a thorough diligence and we also have a reputation for that. So for good or bad. I like, mean, I can, oh. I can add to that, Jane. I know that during the process pre-term sheet being signed you know we we saw that in terms of there's quite a lot of information to be asked beyond the other uh potential kind of suitors and we started hesitating uh just because there was so much you know being asked and one thing that that your team told us was um yes we do ask for a lot you know we, we do our homework but you know unless there's just an absolutely 
you know, terrible skeleton in your closet, we don't pull term sheets. And so it was, it was a little bit of like, yes, we'll do a little bit more upfront homework, but when you sign this thing, you can feel a little bit better on the other side. Right. And, you know, so we considered that and decided to, to, to kind of keep going in the process. And yes, it was the, the, the colonoscopy of, <laughs> you know, data and legal and everything like that. And I was warned by other entrepreneurs, like, Hey, if you're doing a series A, it's different from a seed or angel or anything yeah. like that. Like they dig just be, be ready for it. So. And we have to, because we have a very concentrated portfolio. We have only a, a dozen companies per fund. And we spend a lot of time with entrepreneurs after we invest. So we want to really make sure that we know what we're getting ourselves into. But I also find when uh, I am doing such deep diligence, I become a better board member after investment because I know the business much, much better. So what did we like about Helsin to answer your question, Alex, yeah. other than wonderful <laughs> CFO and a really fun CEO? Well, first and foremost, it's pretty rare to find a Series A company that has been around for a while with an established management team, with um, established team. So Helsum was close to 100 people at that time. And uh, even the sheer idea that they had a culture book, uh, that's quite unusual for Series A um, companies. It was a well world well-running machine that has just come up to the market with a new product and the product itself was quite impressive and actually yeah we did quite an extensive technology diligence we even used some third-party experts for that to compensate for our lack of <laughs> full understanding of tech, of payment space uh, which is not impossible to know fully so yes technology was uh, advanced robust and sophisticated so that was a plus the market itself is uh, like yeah there are players in the space like maybe everybody knows square and yeah. there's um companies like more established players like WorldPay and moneris um but we felt that well first of all uh helson targets a slightly different type of merchant than uh say square does and even Square is growing very, very fast. But what percentage of market they less than two percent of like, the market? Like, like it's just, it's, it's I massive. have a I have a slide yeah. that's like our total addressable market, and it's just a picture of the universe. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, so every, everyone interacts with payments daily. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing, right? And there's uh, a lot of companies uh, that I mentioned that are old school, legacy built uh, built dozen uh, like years ago and technology is uh, old and there's lots of room for innovation and also I like the vision that Helsum had uh, around becoming more of an operating system for a small business and building all these value-add services for merchants and uh, also what was really differentiating about it is um, it's customer experience, how I want to put it. Like, even if you look at like how Helsum webpage look, how the logo looks like, it's it's very sleek and nice and gives you this feel good uh, sensation. Even when you receive the Helsum terminal in the mail, or when you pick up the phone and, and call with a question, or how UI and UX is built for all their web uh, and mobile tools that was quite different from everything, especially from all the legacy players. 
So lot, lots of things to like. So that's... I like, so I like this part of the, yeah. I like this part of the podcast where, you know, your VC just showers you in compliments. You know, I think we should do more of these recordings. I, it's great. You know, I, you know, did, did they, did, did Jane communicate this all while they were trying to close the deal? Well, I, I, a little bit. I think everybody's keeping their cards close. Yeah. Right. So, and so, and, and so super excited to deal, get the deal done. Nick, you've got a few term sheets and, you know, you mentioned you needed capital. And you, you also did the diligence. You saw that IVP are good partners long term. Was there anything non uh, cash? Like what? You know, what were the conversations about the value add? You know, the quote unquote VC value add, which you know either people don't believe exist or people highly believe. So, what were you looking from in a partner? Um, what were you? Um, what, what, and, you know, and Jane, what were you promising? To, how were you help, help, promising to help beyond capital? So, I'd love to hear. But what else was important to getting this deal done? Yeah, I think um, for us, I think it's it, first and foremost, somebody that understood us and that was wanting to work with us. And I do think that, you know, because we had never, you know, had never had a board of advisory board, let alone a, an actual board of directors or things like that. I actually, um, I was actually looking forward to, as long as I had the right people, looking forward to having, um, you know, a, a group of individuals that I could soundboard off and and have another layer beyond my executive uh, layer to really kind of start thinking about longer term and 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 get feedback on you know the moves that we're making. So I was looking forward to that. Um, I think that you know we and go back on the numbers by the way. The so we were thinking of raising you know ten to twelve, and um, uh, IVP came in and 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 there was interest. So IVP came in and led the round. And then when we got on the other side of it in January, we said okay, well let's go back to other partners. Let's see if we can go and and, and fill it out, or let's see if we can go over subscribe it. And uh, that's what, you know, we talked to a number of parties and that's actually when we got introduced to, um, and that was actually through IVP. Uh, so them, then leaning in, they introduced us to a, a New York firm uh, called Aqualine, uh, which is a, has a private equity side and a VC side. And I think it, it was, we, we really, really liked the idea of having a Canadian investor because we really believe in a Canadian success story. And, um, but we love the idea of having also, you know, a, a follow on from also um, an American, uh, just because they have, yeah. you know, other, it's a whole other level of depth of pockets, right? Yeah, um, so a lot more capital available in the States. Yeah. And so, uh, I, you know, IVP was great in making that introductions and we really clicked with, with that team as well. And then that's how we start piece, putting all the, the pieces together, ultimately to the close in March. So I think bringing on more partners kind of, extended the due diligence and um, you're kind of doing kind of tri parties in terms of trying to make it all work. Um, but that's how, that's how we got it done. So got it done in March to me, it feels like 10 years ago. <laughs> it does, um, right? Uh, it's funny. I think this year has been more unpredictable in the tech ecosystem than the two years of COVID other than like two months where COVID started. Uh, my, my, I guess, I assume your customers are they're small businesses, so they're probably seeing all sorts of weird stuff. So what's played out? How have you guys helped each other out? You know, what's changed since that deal's closed and you know, and how's this partnership worked out? Um, I'm open to either side. Jane, you can start if you want. Yeah, I, I can start with uh, one point. Actually, another thing we liked, but maybe didn't even appreciate as much when we were making an investment versus now is that 
Helsing is relatively recession-proof because of the customers they're selling into. Their target merchants are vet clinics, dentists, uh, car shops, um, uh, car repair shops. People go to the vet, to the dentist, to their physiotherapists, or change their oil, regardless of what's happening in the economy, more or less, right? The fluctuations is way less severe in, than in other sectors. So from that standpoint, just like Helsing grew through COVID year, they continue to perform this year. Uh, we really didn't see any changes in their performance this year, which was amazing. Yeah, I think we, I mean, the other thing too with, uh, in terms of like, we are uh, pricing transparency and affordability to small businesses is a pillar of ours. Um, I, I think pride in that, it's funny because, and that was actually when we were talking to investors, including a VP, you know, the advice I was given is don't talk about pricing, you know, be, they'll, they'll hear price, you know, race to the bottom and they, they won't be, in, you know, investors want to talk about only premium and things like that. And I was like, but no, like, I'm a believer that the world is either, you know, you're either Southwest Airlines or you're Emirates, you know, yeah. there's, you're either ultra luxury or you're for the You don't want to be squeezed in the middle. You don't want to be in the middle, right? And we're like, we're not the middle. We are affordable and we're really proud of that. And we built a lot of technology to be able to do that while maintaining margin. Um, and we're going to embrace that. So I, I proudly talked to that to investors. And now, you know, I think, I think they're on the other side, people are realizing the power of that because in a, in a potential kind of recession, people flock to affordability. Um, and we built a system that allows us to do that. Um, you know, in terms of things, things have been going well, the, my, you know, I'm learning how to manage a board, which is, um, which is, great and scary and you know all the things in between uh but i my last board report i i i told the board you know uh i think the the headline was essentially good news we've 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 doubled our business in six months bad news we've doubled our business in six months because it felt internally you know to the outside it feels all shiny and then on the inside you know we're running around our hair on fire trying to keep up with the scale of it so so, so actually i want to ask a question about board because you've had i guess two or three board meetings two and i two and i think it's always a shock to find, like, like again, I, before we record this, I said there's a lot of people asking how to run board meetings. But if you give a tip to founders saying, hey, you know, what, what is the unwritten rule or what un unwritten tip that can really help a founder with their first couple board meetings? Uh, I mean, the, the, the golden rule that I was told and I take to heart is never surprise your board. So up and down, uh, we decided to do um, a bi-weekly call so so on on the board there's four of us with an option for a, a fifth, fifth independent that we're, we're looking for um and uh we we decided to do bi-weekly calls at first just for the first quarter to get familiar with us with with all of each other and things like that and that was great and it was really like you know keeping a tempo and and you know keeping them informed um but what i'm really thankful for for jane and, and dante who's the, uh, the other board member from Aqualine, is that they have given me a lot of space to try to figure out how to run board meetings my way. And I really appreciate that. Even when uh, we, I showed up at the first board meeting with essentially the, the board deck was, you know, I, I don't know if you still have a copy, Jane, but it was like- Are you getting it right now, Jane? It, it is like an inch and a half thick 
Wow. Uh, I mean, it's just. It's I hope like, you sent that out a couple days ahead of time. Yeah, I did. But I mean, it was like like a, a week in, a week ahead, but it still took. Like five it's hours. like the size of an S one filing. Like it's just a little bit enormous. And while they had a little bit of a laugh at my expense, um, they were, you know, they they still said like, Nick, if that's how you want to run your board meeting, you that's fine. You figure it out. And you know, I appreciate that. And so the second time has only been half a stick, and I'm figuring out what's the right amount of information. I think I'm a generally an overshared, you know, it's transparency is a big part for us. And and even the board kind of pushed back said, like, okay, we don't need this level of depth. Like it's you know. Um, but I've appreciated that they've been able to give me that space to try to figure out how I want to run my my board meetings. Um, and you know, in terms of education, uh, there's a there's a book called Boards for Startup. I think it's one of the there's who's that by? Yeah, you're, you're putting me on the spot. I, well, it looks Jane has a copy. I have of it. that one too. Who, who Startup boards. So, start so Bradfeld. Oh, Bradfeld. Okay. Yeah. Figures. And that, you know, we all, me and my chief of staff and and our executive, we've all crash coursed it and just to kind of get a sense of it. But I think what we're learning in the end is how do we want to make it our way? And just like the, the way we run our team, the way that we run our executive meetings, like it has to match with the way that your company is and your your values and how it all aligns. And we're, we're learning how to do that with our board and our board meetings as well. Cool. A um, couple of questions to wrap up. Uh, you know, I'll give each both of you quick a few quick hits. Um, first, go to you, Jane. Is there any other thesis or area that you're excited about, you're looking for opportunities in? Embedded finance. Okay. Uh, when people say embedded finance, everybody starts thinking buy now, pay later, but this is actually the least exciting area, sub area of embedded finance. I'm more excited about embedded payments, embedded insurance, and just Im embedding financial uh, services into a more natural workflows as opposed to forcing a person to go to a bank to an insurance company yeah. separately outside of whatever Maybe. they're trying to do making part of the workflow exactly yeah so that's yeah. That's, that's what's exciting and if people want to yeah. follow you reach out to you you know it's twitter where, where can they find you to be honest linkedin is the simplest one i do have twitter but i mostly read it rather than post um Okay, so, so yeah. with LinkedIn, what we're going to do is we'll put your 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 URL and IVPs in the show notes for people that are curious. Um, Nick, uh, going to start with an easy one for you. Uh, I assume you guys, you seem to be continuing to grow fast. Are you still hiring? We are, yeah. So we are. Uh, we're almost at 150 people, up from kind of 80 at the end of the last year. Um, we we actually went even in these economic times. We actually went back to our board and says, "Can we hire 160? Because things are going pretty well, and we got a lot of stuff ahead." So we're aiming for 160 this year, um, and then uh, we'll we'll absorb that. You know, the two xing your team is a lot, and then we'll look at it for next year. I think we're gonna have to have you in a separate podcast or episode about how to maintain culture while rap rapidly growing because that's very hard. Um, is everyone in Calgary or is it distributed and how can people find out about these jobs? Yeah. So, uh, it, it's actually, we're a little bit unique compared to, I think some tech. So, uh, almost nearly everybody we, we have on our team is from Calgary. It's a very junior team. We do something called bottom up hiring, which is really about hiring people right out of school and training them. So the median age at Helsom is 29 years old. So I'm like the grandfather running around with gray hair at this point. <laughs> Um, and, uh, we are, we do something like a hybrid workplace. So because we hire such junior people, we think it's important for them to be able to spin their chairs 40 times a day and learn from, from seniors. Um, so we do, you know, half the week in the office and half the week at home. 
That's all. And in terms of finding out about us, what I would say, um, I'll put a plug here. Go to helsom.com slash the way. So just, you know, T-H-E-W-A-Y, helsom.com slash the way. And that's actually our culture book. And that's the best way to start, even beyond like our careers page, because you'll really get a feel like we're pretty transparent. You'll really get a feel of our business. And some people just like completely resonate in, with that. And they come to the interview and they're like, oh, my God, I want to work here. And then other people are like, eh, not for me. And that's fine. That's a big kind of filtration process. So that's what we awesome. send people. And if people want to find you personally, do you like Twitter, LinkedIn, any preferred way? Um, I'll be like Jane. It's it's LinkedIn. Um, I do have a commitment. I accept all connection requests. So um, and I actually go through those messages. So oh God. more people are more, more welcome to reach out. I, I can't imagine if you're, you're sitting there in bed reading all the LinkedIn messages. Um, you know, my, my I've gone, I've gone, I'm pretty quick at going through the spam now. So, yeah. well, uh, Jason, the co-founder of TechTO does that too. Um, you guys are saints. Uh, I don't have the patience for that. Uh, <laughs> and the last question I like asking founders, what's their one business, you know, doesn't have to be a venture scale. Like what, if there's some founders looking to start something, what would you like someone to see put into this world? Oh, good question. Um, you know what? I'll, 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 I'll piggyback on a headline today. I am a big fan of Figma. Uh, which is you know the, the UI design tool, and it just got bought out by Adobe today. And I think I think I saw you know two dozen crying emojis and sad faces going through the chats um, because you know everybody loved Figma and nobody likes Adobe, and they've just sold their souls to the dark lords. Yeah. Um, so maybe somebody can make a competitor to Figma and save us all. It's funny. I saw that news in my first. I actually tweeted out saying this just doesn't feel right. Right. Um, it's just wrong. It's yeah. Different mentalities. Uh, I have a lot of friends and people that work Adobe. I love them, but Figma, different mindset, different things. The but check must've been pretty big. So it was $20 billion. <laughs> there you go. That's a lot pretty of people big. say yes for that check. Yeah. Um, on that note, I feel like I could talk to both of you, the transparency and the insights you shared are amazing, but Jane and Nick, uh, I'm going to thank you for today. Uh, might have to have you on for follow-up in another six months or something like that. Uh, love the insights you shared. Thank you for taking the time and sharing with the community. Um, for people that are listening to this, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, sign up to our newsletter at techtoorg backslash newsletter to be informed of new releases as they drop. We drop new content every Friday. Um, so make sure and subscribe to us also wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Alex. It was very fun. Thanks. Alex. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Nick.